podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you're subscribed to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombe Show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombe Show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. The great Ross Tucker coming up shortly. It's brilliant to have Ross on the show. Uh, of course, he drops by from time to time uh, during the season, the off-season. But catching up with him at the Super Bowl has become a regular occurrence for this show. So it'll be good to spend a lot more time deep diving into what is going on at the moment. Great to get his perspective on all the key deals that have been done. The power rankings have come out as well. I'm going to talk Cam with him, where he thinks uh, Newton might drop next. Plenty more uh, besides. So really looking forward to getting in with him very shortly. Just a quick plug. If you haven't seen it already, we dropped a pod earlier this week with Darren Bent, the former Spurs and England striker, massive Philly fan, making his debut on the show. Really interesting chat with him as well. So that is a bonus pod for you, gang this week so uh, if you haven't caught that already just head over to your podcatcher uh, and download and have a listen but we're going to get straight down to business now with a terrific ross tucker ross man good to have you on how you holding up bro you know i appreciate you asking that nat uh we're doing pretty well here i'm i'm fortunate in the sense that everything i do is pretty much from home anyway you know right. whether it's all of my podcasts or writing for the athletic, the social media stuff, radio.com show really, unless it's the fall and I'm at a game broadcasting a game, everything else I do is, is from home. So I'm situation normal for you in that regard. Respect. And, yeah. uh, you know, my family's here with me for the most part. So we're, we're lucky. I know a lot of people are not, are not as lucky. Well, it is, uh, it is strange times, of course, and, uh, for a lot of people, and we were discussing this on earlier this week on the show with, with Darren Bent, the former England striker who, uh, dropped by a little bit earlier on this week. So if you haven't heard that pod, go and check it out on, on the stream. And one of the things we were talking about was the, uh, increased, uh, increased time spent at home for the majority of the population who don't normally do that. And obviously the lack of much live sport on a global basis has meant that people have gone onto the net and has started to really, really deep dive with YouTube, with lots of other platforms to find some good stuff. And what I, I know I can always count on you, Ross Tucker. Like every time we hook up at the Super Bowl, uh, which is always great to see every year at the Super Bowl, you're always on the money. You always give us time. Everything you say is on point. You are not just the hardest working man in showbiz, but one of the most reliable and dependable. And I knew I could count on you when we're, 
looking at life and working out all these different things we're, we're either rediscovering again or discovering for the first time that you would be front and center supporting Rocky Four is a good film supporting that argument which i've noticed you on your social media were getting into a bit of a spat somebody was slagging off rocky four having having uh re-engaged with it again because of the because of the lockdown and and you were saying quite the opposite i think you were quite rightly pointing out that rocky four pretty much single-handedly uh solved the cold war right yeah I, well so first of all you gotta understand I'm from outside of Philadelphia, number one. Mm-hmm. So Rocky is like, even though it's a movie character, he's like an icon right. outside of Philadelphia. And then secondly, you know, when that movie came out in uh, the mid to late 80s or whenever it was, you know, that was when I was like 10 years old, 12 yep. years old. Yeah. was right in the middle of the Cold War. So for us... That was like the greatest movie of all time, right? What, I mean, what the soundtrack? I had the soundtrack. Out the movie was absolutely amazing. And then to even take it a step further, you know, then you get into high school and all of the music from the Rocky Four soundtrack is so, soundtrack. Good so good when you're training for high school football and sports and stuff. So. The legacy of that movie, I think, is, is almost not only just the Cold War part of it, but, you know, the, the training montage and Eye of the Tiger and all the music that comes from it. So I think it was Mike Giardi from it NFL was, Network. Was, and I said, those are fighting words where I come from, Mike. He said he thought the movie sucks. I, I literally have never heard anybody say that before. I, I was shocked and appalled. I was equally, I share that, I share that sentiment. Uh, and everything you said, bang on, the, the soundtrack, it, yeah, great when we were kids growing up. And But go, uh, if you haven't, and a different generation, go and check it out. It still holds up now. The film still holds up now. Some of the greatest quotes in movie history as well, um, including, of course, the, the speech Rocky gives at the end, having won over the, the Russian crowd. Uh, I could change, you could change, everybody can change, which uh, <laughs> words words of wisdom that I've lived lived uh, by for my entire life so rocky four that is a a special deep dive in in these times go and find that on uh, whichever platform it is and enjoy and i guess the the good thing ross at the moment in terms of uh, us covering nfl for a living is there's a huge amount to talk about uh you mentioned your uh, writing for the athletic you wrote a really interesting column about christy mccaffrey that i want to get into in a little bit well get your perspective on just some of the, the key free agency moves that have happened. And also as a result of that, the, the NFL power rankings have come out and some interesting positions there in, in terms of the deals that people have done. And we want to throw a few names at you. We can kick those around. But I want to start with, with Cam Newton. That's the big story really for me over uh, the last couple of days because the writing was on the wall, of course, when the Panthers moved for Teddy. And, uh, Newton, uh, his days were clearly numbered, but, uh, it's gone from, I guess, bad to worse at the moment for Newton in the sense that there were no suitors. So that the Panthers having adopted initially a stance of, mm, come and do a deal if you want, have now released Newton and he is out there on the market and at the moment seemingly not many credible suitors. So, so many questions about Cam that I want to ask you, Ross. But first things first, looking at the market as it is right now, the quarterback deals that have been done, the quarterbacks that are available in the draft that will go first round and will start at some point next season. Is there any realistic market for Cam Newton at the moment that you can see a realistic landing spot for him other than the Patriots? 
Yeah, I don't think that's very realistic. I, I, I don't envision the Patriots doing that uh, for a bunch of different reasons. I think that the Patriots want to use this year to see what they have in Jarrett Stidham. Right. I mean, they took him in the fourth round. They like what he can do. And the Patriots, you know, have $25 million in dead cap money right now. Over $13 million of it is from Tom Brady. So I think that they want to use this year to see if, if Jarrett Stidham could be their next guy and see what he can do. And if it doesn't go well, then I would imagine they'll be in the quarterback market, of course, again next year. But I don't envision them bringing Cam Newton in for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, he doesn't really fit their offense. You know, the quick timing passing game, that's never been Cam's strength. And number two, I think he's going to want a lot more money than they want to pay at the position. I don't think is he though. Is he? I mean, two weeks ago, I might have agreed with that. Three weeks ago, but is he now? Is he going to have to to rein it in a bit and realize that you know the market isn't necessarily there for him, and he might have to take within reason whatever deals offered. Yeah, and I think whatever that is, Nat, it's still less than. I mean, it's still more than what the Patriots would want to pay. Gotcha. I, I think that the two spots that I see for Cam Newton right now would be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the L.A. Chargers. You know, we know the L.A. Chargers appear poised to take a quarterback in the top ten, but especially with everything going on with with the virus, there's not going to be an off-season program, so it's going to be very difficult for rookies to be able to perform this year, especially early this year. So I kind of like the idea, Nat, of – the pan, the, the, the Chargers getting Cam Newton rather than Tyrod Taylor to see what he can do for at least the first half of the season. Now, if Cam's playing well and looks like he's healthy again and playing at a really high level, then leave him in there. And at the end of the year, you know, maybe you franchise tag him, maybe you trade him. You know, there's different possibilities there, or maybe you stick with Cam and eventually trade whoever you drafted high in the draft. I think in Jacksonville, you could do something similar where Cam and Gardner Minshew are the two options, mm. and maybe you, you go with Minshew to start. And if Minshew, I know they like him down there, but if he struggles, then you give Cam a chance, and you basically get two bites at the quarterback apple, if you will. So I, I think both those teams are a lot more likely to sign Cam than the New England Patriots. Because I think the Patriots sort of showed – what they're going to do, at least in the near term, by signing Brian Hoyer. And I think right. that they probably feel like with how well Hoyer knows their offense, that the number of wins they would get this year, the difference between Cam and Hoyer is probably minimal in their mind. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about about Cam to the Patriots, but it is wishful thinking, I think. And it would be, you know, interesting to see, as you quite rightly point out, point out it would be a real deviation from – the typical offense that McDaniels and, and Belichick are run, but um, so it's more maybe a kind of fascinating wish fulfillment than any, any credibility in that rumor. But inevitably, that that will persist until he does find a landing spot. The next question, I guess, and it's maybe impossible to answer precisely because because obviously we just don't know, given he's been out for so long. But clearly, his his performance has declined since the injuries kicked in and since his MVP season. But do you get a sense that there is going to be a reticence in the market because he missed? so much of last season again and you just don't know what kind of cam you're going to get or is 
do you think there's a way around that in terms of, and again, with the virus, I guess, restricting evaluation quite significantly at the moment, those two things, I guess, will have a, a, a dual effect on cooling the market for him. We just don't know what kind of player Cam Newton is anymore, do we? Well, the fir- you're exactly right. And, and the first thing is, I don't think anyone would be willing to trade for him. And I think the Panthers realize this without being able to give him a physical with their own doctor to check out his shoulder, to check out the foot he just had surgically repaired. Mm. So I know that the Carolina Panthers and Cam's representatives got together and he got a physical in Atlanta and Carolina cleared him and then they released him. But that's not the same as a team that would want to trade for him or sign him, especially when he was due over $19 million. Mm. Now it's a little bit different, right? You don't have to trade for him. You can just sign him. But even to determine whether or not you want to sign him and how much money you'd be willing to give him, you want to make sure that your doctors feel like he's totally recovered and totally healthy because whatever the dollar amount is, you don't want to give him a lot of money and that it turns out, or really any amount of money, and it turns out he's not totally healthy and ready to go for you. So um, I think it's going to be a while before Cam gets signed by a team I think it might even wait till after the draft. You know, teams will have a little more clarity after the draft. And then after that, depending on whether or not they got the guy that they wanted to get, then once things are opened up and Cam can take a physical for teams, I do think teams like the Chargers and the Jaguars are the most likely teams to be interested in him and to go ahead and, and maybe sign him. To be honest with you, Nat, I thought the Panthers should have just kept him uh, you know, the Panthers have $35 million in dead cap money. It's a rebuilding year for them. Yeah, I think I would have kept Cam if I was the Panthers. And if he plays great and he's healthy, then awesome. If he plays poorly or he's not healthy, well, then maybe you're in position to draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields next year. I was a little bit surprised that they went with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I, I'm, I'm still confused. When you look at – Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson, on the one hand, it looks like the Panthers are rebuilding. On the other hand, you know, those are both relatively short-term contracts. So uh, the, the Panthers' strategy thus far has been a little bit confusing to me. I, I couldn't agree more. That Robbie Anderson deal, incidentally, which broke since the last pod, uh, we did two years, 20 million. So as you say, uh, uh, short-term Poked there. The agreed with that in so many different ways. They deal Allen, right? So they've got a, they've got the spot there anyway. They Teddy. It, look, we've talked about this a fair bit over the last few weeks. That the upside for him and the the comeback play that he projected himself into with his cameo for the Saints last season. You know, congratulations, brilliant Teddy Bridgewater, who had so much promise, uh, had fallen because of injury a little bit by the wayside into that world of the backups has played himself into a starting gig seemingly so fair play to him but I agree he's not exactly the finished article I don't think you can hang your hat and Teddy's our guy to lead us forward for the next four or five years unlike other quarterbacks where you'd be there'd be more surety there plus there's everything that the Panthers uh, and I know there's not much room for sentiment in football but everything that Cam has done for the Panthers and everything all the the narrative, the the language coming out of the Panthers organization, which seems in conflict with what's actually happened in the way that, they, that they've treated him, 
it would kind of make sense to what have they really got to risk here, as you rightly point out, with the space they've got compared to others, to give him give him another season and and see. I want to get your perspective, Ross, on another fairly powerful perspective, certainly held by a lot of people, uh, that Cam Newton is a difficult customer. Now, I'm not saying this necessarily affects how he performs on the field, but people, a number of media, certainly a lot of fans, have an issue with him. And I guess, to me, it is partly because of his personality and demeanor and approach compared to a lot of other quarterbacks, right? So fans gravitate towards the uh, good old boy Brett Favre kind of kind of quarterbacks or the kind of steely surety veteran smarts of a Brady or a Peyton, even a Rivers, right? They're kind of no-nonsense. Or, or the moxie of someone like Baker, you know? Uh, th- that seems to be what fans like. Then you get quarterbacks like Eli, who, because he's laid back and a little bit understated, mm, I'm not sure, and, and then you have Jay Cutler. If, you, if Jay Cutler had the same level of performance but didn't have the, the attitude, I think we'd be looking at him and looking, he's not, he's not a Hall of Famer, but I think we'd be looking back at his career in, in different ways. And Cam seems to have fallen in his own way into that trap a bit because in press conferences, he has been uh, at times seemingly quite surly, quite dismissive. He's obviously got quite a gregarious sartorial style as well, which kind of plays into this perspective. I saw one column in particular that was calling Cam out after the Super Bowl loss calling him out uh, at his press conference performance after that. And they actually put verbatim the Q&A to four or five different questions that, that Cam was asked after that. And we're using this as evidence to say, mm, he's got an attitude problem. Look at the way he dealt with defeat here. I'll, I'll, I'll throw some of them, and you'll know him well, but for the benefit of listeners who maybe haven't looked at this recently, I'll throw some of them out there, yeah? Uh, what is Newton's message? So this is after the Super Bowl loss to Denver. What is Cam Newton's message to Panther fans and supporters? His answer was, we'll be back. Why didn't the Panthers play like they have all season? He answered, they outplayed us. Why did Panthers coach Ron Rivera say, sorry, what did he say, uh, Ron Rivera, in the locker room? He told us a lot of things. Did Denver do anything different on defense? Nothing different. Now, you're going to get the pattern here. He's giving pretty clipped, <laughs> almost monosyllabic answers. But with the exception of maybe the Ron Rivera line, I don't have a problem with any of this, Ross. Like, he's just lost the Super Bowl. He said, we'll be back. They were better than us. And yet after that, they were at, people were absolutely slagging him off. And that seems to have never left him. So I guess getting to my point, deep breath, finally, the people misconstrued Cam Newton a bit. Is the perception that he's got an attitude a little bit unfair? I think it is. Well, I think um, he's a very polarizing guy, personality-wise. There are people that really, really love him, and they love everything he does, you know, the fashion, the way he conducts his interviews, et cetera. And there, and there are others that feel like there's sort of like how you just described. If you looked at his body language after the Super Bowl, sort of a, a lack of professionalism, right? Um, and, and, and certainly there are those that argue, hey, he just lost the Super Bowl. You know, how do you want him to react? But you can look at the other quarterbacks that have lost the Super Bowl and they still don't have the same body language or mannerisms or personality that he does. I don't think ultimately 
it's that big a deal, but he does seem to be emotional. He does seem to, when things are going well, he's really high. Mm. When things are going poorly, though, he, he really does seem to get low. And I, and I don't think that's a good thing for the rest of the team. I, I had one of his former teammates tell me one time, he's not really the guy you want when things aren't going well. Right. And that's a pretty damning thing to say about about a starting quarterback. And that was a you know a teammate just telling me as a former player that and wasn't looking to you know disparage Cam. He was just being honest that right. Right. you know I think that he has a tough time uh, dealing with adversity at times. Okay, fair point and well put. An interesting insight there. Let's talking of his teammates. Then let's get on to them, the teammates he's left behind in Carolina and. And in particular, your piece for The Athletic, uh, which we'll push out uh, a link to on our, on our social channels uh, as well. Uh, regarding Christian McCaffrey, who, of course, is the uh, the current superstar as far as the Panthers are concerned. And uh, without overstating it and, and being ridiculous to say he single-handedly carried the Panthers last season, he wasn't actually far off, right? Let's be honest. He wasn't far off. Um, there is an interesting... Uh, crossroads, I guess, for him now, given, as you suggest, many respects, the Panthers feel that they're in a transitional phase. He's coming into what should be the peak of his uh, career. Um, and the Panthers have got to stump up the cash. That's your point, one of your points anyway, in the piece, isn't it? That if, um, uh, unless the Panthers make him the best paid running back in history, then he shouldn't even think about taking another snap for them, should he? Well, when you look, Nat, at his usage last year, right? And I pointed this out in the column. I, I assumed he had like an understanding with the Panthers. I, we haven't seen anything like it in a long, long time. I mean, he was out there for 93% of the snaps. Wow. There's only one other running back that was out there for more than 83% of the snaps. And that was Leonard Fournette at 88. But here's the thing. Leonard Fournette was still out there for 138 less snaps than Christian McCaffrey. That's about three games worth. And if you look at his, you know, over 1,050 snaps, there was only two running backs in the NFL, Fournette and Zeke Elliott, that had more than 805 snaps, which means other than those two guys, Christian McCaffrey had over 250 more plays than every other running back in the NFL. That's at least five games worth now. So Christian McCaffrey's basically out there. We talk about the 17-game season. Christian McCaffrey's basically out there playing, you know, a 20-game season compared to the other running backs around the NFL. And I don't think it's good. I don't think it's a smart move by the Panthers. But I think if they're going to use him that way and you're Christian McCaffrey, you cannot go back out there for a fourth year now that you're eligible for a contract extension without becoming the highest paid running back in the NFL because they are using him so much more than any other running backs being used. I think he's certainly the most effective running back in the NFL altogether, especially when you consider what he had around him. Yep. And you look at these guys getting cut after a couple years, the David Johnson gets traded and Gurley cut and Gordon couldn't get much money when he held out. You know, this is when Zeke Elliott got his money after his third year. Todd Gurley got his money after his third year. There have been other guys in Christian's 
draft class, like Eddie Jackson, the safety for the Bears that have already gotten his contract. I just – you can't do it. I mean, the injury risk, the wear and tear, and I know that there, there are new holdout rules, which would make that even more difficult, but I highly doubt the Carolina Panthers, after moving on, you know, losing Keekley, moving on from Greg Olson, moving on from Cam Newton, I highly doubt they want the Matt Rule era to start in Carolina with Christian McCaffrey holding out and not being there. You know, that said, you know, we could debate whether or not it's even smart for them to make him the highest paid guy with all the other stuff we've talked about. Well, exactly. I mean, you, you, some of the names you threw out there, for example, obviously uh, Zeke at the top of that pile, uh, but only just really. The other highest paid running backs as it stands right now, Gurley um, with that Rams deal, the Le'Veon Bell to the Jets, David Johnson, Devontae Freeman. So a number of those obviously clearly haven't, haven't worked out. And when you compound that really with the diminishing value certainly in terms of front office perception of, of the running back and I know McCaffrey isn't just any running back as you've, as you've eloquently described there but the diminishing value of, of running backs compared to say 10 years ago and the sense that uh, there is a lot of strength in depth there and it is very much a, a biased market then it is interesting I also wonder whether someone you know with the Panthers under the stewardship of, of David Tepper, whether that's something that is going to be emphasized given his background and looking at diminishing value here, that whether that further clouds the issue. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if they go forward without any of those leaders and certainly key figures, because the other three have all gone, that puts a huge amount of pressure on on, on Matt Rule in, in, in his first season. You think that, that the Panthers, whichever way you cut it, will be shooting to a 3-13 and 13 kind of season. You mentioned the CBA. That's an interesting point, actually, that I wanted to uh, get your perspective on. Just deep dive a little bit more there. So two factors, I guess, relating to McCaffrey. On a lesser level, um, the change in uh, the rookie contract deal. So that's quite a significant one, isn't it, that has will come in with the, the new collective bargaining agreement that if you signed a long-term rookie deal and you were outperforming, uh, quite clearly, that contract. There are provisions now for the final year of that contract for a, a more realistic value to be paid to that player. Yeah, you're going to end up getting more like the franchise tag amount as opposed to just the fifth-year option. Right. It's still not, not ideal. In my mind, rookie contracts should only be three years long. Mm-hmm. You know, And that goes both ways. I mean, whether it's a really good player that deserves a new one at that point or, you know, there are certain guys that get drafted in the first round and their contracts are fully guaranteed for four years and they stink. You know, they end up stinking. I, I, yeah. I don't think it's good that they're getting fully guaranteed deals for four years either. Right. Those guys are getting money their fourth year that they should not be getting. So I think it goes both ways. The owners don't want to give up, though, having them for four years and then maybe even for first-round picks having them for five. So that was not something that they were willing to give in on. The other thing were, you, I think you referenced this when we were talking about McCaffrey, but the holdout challenges, I guess, for, from a player's perspective now, in, just in the sense of the gravity and severity of fines uh, massively increased, right? So if you're going to do a Melvin Gordon uh, and, and have a Texas standoff and, and hope to win, it's weighted much more in the team's direction now than the players, right? 
Correct. Um, it, it's even more expensive, and there are more repercussions, especially for a guy on a rookie contract like Christian McCaffrey if you don't show up. Those things, though, Nat, you know, I always think they're not really that much of a deterrent when you're a true superstar player because the team doesn't really want to play games without you. So, that you know, they can have the fine amount and all that, but ultimately they're going to have to make up for it when they give the guy the new deal. The other thing is, Nat, and we've seen this a little bit more in recent years, which is sort of the hold-in where a player can still report so he's not subject to fines. So he doesn't, you know, lose the accrued season of service, but, you know, he can uh, tweak his back or hamstring the first day if you catch my drift, right? He can, uh, you know, there are certain injuries that it's, it's, what are you going to say? A guy's lying? You know, if he says his back hurts or his hamstring hurts and he can't run, then he can't run. The knee's not feeling great. I've used that a few times to get out of, uh, to get out of private side. On that note, actually, and, and, joining a few of the dots here. So with the difference to preseason that inevitably is going to happen because of coronavirus, I'm just trying to work out what, who that favors in this situation. Players that like McCaffrey that are, are, are waiting for a deal to be tabled or actually the longer there isn't really any organized football preseason, is that going to benefit the team more in, in terms of negotiations or, or somewhere in between? I kind of feel it's the player, right? Because the team it's got less time to adjust if uh, if they decide to to move on either temporarily or otherwise from that player. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. Uh, I think you're right about that. Uh, I guess the flip side, though, of that would be, you know, typically guys show their displeasure by not showing up for OTAs or minicamp mm. in the spring. Well, we're not going to have those this year, it doesn't look like. So guys won't be able to send the message in that way in a respect in which they won't get fined for because it's not mandatory. So it seems like all of that will come to a head in training camp if we have training camp. What I thought you were going to ask, Nat, which I think is a a good follow-up there, is how will, you know, COVID-19, the coronavirus, whatever we're calling it, how will that impact the season? And what I would argue is, Teams that are returning their coaches and most of their players are going to be at a distinct advantage right? from teams that have a new coach putting in new systems, teams that have a new quarterback that needs to learn a new system, teams that are counting on a bunch of rookies, including potentially a rookie quarterback, quarterback right? teams that are counting on a bunch of new players. I mean, there's going to be a big advantage because usually, Matt, you go through, you install your systems during the OTAs. You install them a second time during mini camp. You install them a third time during training camp. And so the guys really have it down at that point. This year, you're really only going to be able to install it one time during training camp. Yeah. And so there's going to be more mental errors by guys that are not as familiar with the system, familiar with the material. What have you heard on that? I mean, I know it's still relatively early in the, uh, you know, in the typical timeline, but what have you heard in terms of teams contingency planning and adjusting as best they can, obviously, when they can't physically be in the same space? Have you heard much on how teams are adapting to the inevitable delay in, in season preparation? Yeah. So 
Uh, my understanding is they're starting to talk with prospects, you know, via Zoom, like you and I are doing right now, <laughs> where they're starting to talk to prospects and get a chance to know the, the college prospects better. And then I would imagine after the draft, similarly to what typically happens with OTAs when they have meetings, I think you'll start to see teams having a lot of virtual meetings. I know that's what's going on in college football right now because in college football they should be in spring practice. So since they can't be physically on the field for spring practice, they are now instead having meetings for, you know, players to be able to go over the systems and know what they're doing. And then the coaches actually give them quizzes to make sure they're, they're accountable for the material. It's really interesting. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not, being facetious here do you think they might use madden or some kind of simulation to uh, as part of the as part of the training process if if it's got to be if it's got to be remote and virtual you know i don't know enough about that but i'm sure they're trying uh, they tell me that madden's more and more realistic every year right and i'm sure they're trying to come up with some way so that the players can get mental reps now they have other virtual reality technologies that might be better than Madden, but I'm sure they're looking at any and all possibilities in that regard. Yeah. This is where, I mean, certain sports have a huge advantage, of course. So F1, and uh, we've been talking about this quite a lot on uh, on my TalkSport 2 radio show uh, with the rise of esports in the current climate for obvious reasons, right? That esports is booming because it isn't being inhibited or hindered by what is going on with coronavirus. And if you look at something like F1, which is a sport that has been way ahead of the curve in terms of uh, integration with, with gaming. And uh, I've been learning stuff I had no idea about Ross, like uh, a number of professional drivers are put into the e-gaming uh, ecosystem to sharpen, to sharpen their skills. And conversely drivers from the esports side are being looked at and moved up into deals with with real formula 1 racing teams so that whole thing is fascinating and i wonder whether one of the outcomes of uh something like coronavirus the impact that it has had on on so many different sports is the contingency planning and future proofing going forwards with with sports and teams on god forbid if anything like this happened again how would we adjust and how can we adapt to a prolonged period of time away from the norm and away from or away from reality. Speaking on that, you mentioned the draft. There are a lot of news reports flying around about the draft, right? That it's not going to be delayed. When there was a buzz a week or two ago that it that almost certainly would be uh, delayed. It's going to happen over seven days now, they're saying, and uh, behind closed doors. And what's the latest you can give us on the draft? And do you think that it will still go ahead on time as planned? Yeah, I think they've already made that decision. And I think it's, uh, you know, full speed forward at this point with that. And I think a lot of that's because people had already had that date on their calendars. People are already prepared for that date. And I think the NFL likes that they have it on the schedule already. You know, ABC and ESPN and NFL Network in the United States are all going to televise it. They've already got a lot of programming surrounding that. And because there isn't anything else going on from a sports perspective, it basically gives the NFL a full month of people talking about the NFL draft, getting ready for the NFL draft. And, right. you know, everything will the be done talks, virtually, yeah. Uh, yeah. remotely. They're going to get 
uh, I think players available uh, basically via Zoom and, and other forms of communication like we're using right now. Um, and I think it's going to be basically a, a studio television event, which it kind of already is anyway, right? I mean, nobody really cares that much about seeing the guy walk across the stage and hugging Roger Goodell. That's not really what's important. What people are excited about is they're excited about the trades and excited about seeing who their team gets and stuff. So I think it'll be done. People like people definitely enjoy watching Goodell get the bird. That's uh, (laughs) there's no doubt about that. And basically, just looking at at Jets and Philly fans, they should have a cam just on Jets and Philly fans at the at the live event throughout the course of it. I think we're all disappointed that it's not going to happen in the way it was intended in Vegas with with the gondolas as well. I think we're all we're all slightly disappointed about that. but I take your point. And the reason I, uh, one of the reasons I asked it was because I wonder whether, although that is the line that the NFL are, are pushing, I know that, um, Schefter and a couple of others have reported that there's an increasing, there is increasing pressure from GMs on Goodell to move it. And one of the arguments, it seems, and there's a piece on Sports Illustrated by Pete Smith about this, um, is that the front offices are saying they just can't have the same level of, preparation as, as they typically would, which, which is obviously uh, quite clear, but to a really detrimental degree in that actually buying them some time will enable them to evaluate smaller college prospects and looking at the deeper dives that, that typically they would have been up to speed with by the end of April, but they're, they're, they're asking to buy more time for that reason. But in the end, I guess, as you say, it's such an opportunity for the NFL to command attention uh, internationally for days and days and days in terms of media focus and uh, money talks, right? So I, I can't imagine it, it would change despite pressure from from different teams and, and GMs. Um, let's look at free agency, Ross. Uh, teams and players that are left. And I just want to index that with the list, uh, first list for a while of, of power rankings based on deals that have been done so far. So we mentioned the Robbie Anderson deal to the Panthers which means very few receivers left on the market. And uh, something that Oli, our producer, was was pointing out, the Green Bay Packers notably very quiet in terms of their uh, off-season so far when they clearly need strength in that area. Um, Devin Funches doesn't, I think, tick many of the boxes for what the Packers fans are hoping, particularly when they look at the, the, the players that have gone and, and where DeAndre Hopkins has landed, for example, and Stefan Diggs. What do you make of the Packers? I suppose it's the type, right? The Packers rarely uh, flex in free agency when they can in the draft. That seems to be their, their kind of MO, right? So do you think they're looking, they've got their eye on uh, receiver, receivers in the draft, and that's how they're going to re-up? Yeah, so it's considered a historically great draft for wide receivers. Mm. So a lot of teams, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles are another one that people are very surprised did not add a receiver in free agency, but right. the the free agents were not considered to be that great. I mean, Amari Cooper back with the Cowboys, but he wasn't, you know, he's back on $20 million a year. A.J. Green was tagged. So then you're looking at guys like Robbie Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, and Brashad Perriman. You mentioned Funches. And I think people would rather take their chances in the draft. Sure. Then a lot of those guys, because of how good the draft is supposed to be and how deep it is, you know, you can get in their mind quality guys both the first and second round. I also think that the Packers 
are sort of playing the compensatory pick game because the two guys they did sign, Ricky Wagner to play right tackle after they let Brian Balaga go to the Chargers in free agency, as well as Christian Kirksey to play linebacker after they let Blake Martinez go to the Giants, they're in line to get a couple of really high compensatory picks next year as a result of that. So I think that that's part of it is that they are playing the compensatory pick game uh, because they want to get those draft picks next year and are more likely to draft a a wide receiver in uh, one of the first couple rounds. But they did get Funchess, who does give them a a big body. Some of the other guys they have are more speed guys, you know, Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez, Scantling, et cetera. So they wanted to get Aaron Rodgers, I think, a, a bigger target, a different type of receiver. Uh, Dan Nahanzis was making the point. AJ Green is still um, uh, available, right? So should they? Well, he's franchise tagged by the uh, by the Bengals, and they don't seem to want to get rid of him. I don't think anybody wants to trade two first round picks mm. for a guy that did not play one down last year due to injury. Right, and his age as well. Right, he's in what thirty one, thirty two. So yeah, okay. yeah, he's thirty one. Yep. Uh, Jadavian Clowney's another name I want to throw at you. Um, surprised that he's still on the open market at the moment? Um, a little bit, yes, I am. Um, you know, I, I talked to Greg Cosell about this on last Friday's Ross Tucker football podcast. Greg Cosell, the great NFL films guru, and his point was that if you watch Clowney as a player, He's a very special player, but he's not a great pure edge pass rusher. That's not really his strength. He's a movement player. And so if you want to just have him lined up and rush off the edge, you're probably going to be disappointed in his production there. Whereas you got to really commit to to using him in a specific scheme. So that's an issue. And then the other issue is, you know, he had hernia surgery after the season. He's reportedly had microfracture surgery on his knee, and he wants over $20 million a year. So I think teams are very hesitant to do that, sort of like what we talked about with Cam, Mm. until they can have their team doctors really look at his knee and and be very comfortable with where he's at health-wise before they would offer those kind of dollars. So he might end up staying put, do you think? I think that's most likely unless he's able to, um, you know, at some point be able to go to other teams and take physicals so they can sign off on him and then maybe his market will increase once people feel good about him from a health standpoint. Okay, uh, one more name for you. Jameis Winston, who obviously is uh, looking for a new, new gig now if um... – if you'd seen the Bucks have, have, have got another quarterback, so <laughs> he's probably going to move on. Is Winston, eh, given what we know his upside is and what he's capable of, but we all know his Achilles heel, is he a starter next season in the NFL, do you think? I don't think he will be. I mean, I, I think he ends up being in a similar situation that, to what we talked about with Cam Newton, which is that I, I feel like the best options for Jameis would be the Chargers, sort of instead of Tyrod Taylor, holding the seat warm for a rookie perhaps. 
Maybe the Dolphins would have him do that. I doubt it. I think the Jaguars to sort of be Minshew insurance, if you will. But I, yeah. I think it's basically we're talking about sort of the same the same teams that we talked about with Cam Newton. I picture one of them going to the Jags and one of them going to the Chargers. Do you think he might sit tight and wait for the inevitable a, a quarterback to go down? And again, I guess there's probably less chance of, of a quarterback injury preseason with a diminished preseason. But I think Winston might well just sit tight and wait for wait for the call when inevitably a starter goes down at some point next season, and they need somebody uh, that ha- have confidence that the backup's going to take them where they need to go. A contending team, I guess. Or do you think he'll do what uh, I guess? Mariota's going to have to do, or maybe maybe not. Maybe Mariota's going to battle for the, the Raiders' job, but take a, a, a backward step uh, and and try and you know re up to a starting gig, spending a bit of time as a backup. I think if it's just a backup gig, I think he'll wait. So if it's just a backup gig, I think he should wait till training camp, see if there is an injury. If it's an opportunity like we talked about in Jacksonville or the Chargers where he could compete for the starting job, that's different. And I do think he will, uh, he would jump at one of those. I think he should. All right. Just quickly then before we let you go, bud, on the power rankings, which I've uh, mentioned a few times, I just want to get your take on it. This is uh, NFL.com power rankings that have come out. There are obviously different ones flying around. Uh, looking at some of the, Positions that slightly jump out as maybe not altogether surprising, but interesting. So the Titans at six, and obviously they've locked in Tannehill and Henry, which was the business I think they, they needed to get done. I think it would have been crazy town if they, they'd moved away from uh, either. But um, at the same time, some changes on their line. So it's unclear, I think, as to whether they're going to get the same type of production, the same type of impact uh, necessarily with the impact there for, with Henry specifically, the impact on the line, depending on, on how they address that. So the Titans at six, bearing in mind that the, the five ahead of them, Chiefs, 49ers, Ravens, Saints, and Packers in that order. Um, what do you make of, of what Tennessee have done and whether Tennessee will be there or thereabouts again next season as these power rankings suggest yeah, that will be? Yeah, Nat, that, that's a little rich for me, man. That's a little high mm. to have them at six. You know, they lost Jack Conklin, their right tackle, right. who had a very good year for them. He went to Cleveland. Cleveland in free agency, and Dennis Kelly is definitely a downgrade at right tackle. And then on the defensive line, they traded Jarrell Casey, Yeah, you know, for a seventh-round pick. I think that hurts them as well. So I think they've gotten worse at on both lines. Although Jeffrey Simmons is a guy I think that they believe will replace, um, you know, Jeffrey Simmons is a guy I think they believe will be able to replace and play at a pretty high level in place of Jarrell Casey. But still, I would have rather had both of those guys. Yeah. And right now, Logan Ryan's still a free agent too. So they're they're short a cornerback as well. Jarrell Casey's a five-time pro bowler. I mean, you know, uh, that seemed, I agree, I think that was a a steal. uh, as far as Denver were concerned there. Um, actually, just jumping ahead of the Titans, because we mentioned the Packers' inertia in terms of the offseason, and I guess they were one of those teams last year, Ross, that were, I think, a little bit deceptive in terms of where they ended up and how deep they ended up going, considering 
you look at the, the, the talent and productivity of that roster, it, they seem to be, for me, the, the team that definitely punched above their weight in, in many respects. And I hope that's not a crazy thing to say when, you know, Aaron Rodgers and maybe it's, it, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the reason why they punched above their weight. But are they really a top five team at the moment based on everything? I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, um, I don't, I think they were very fortunate to win more than the, their fair share of close games last year. And so I, I don't think I'd have them as a top five team either. I think that they'll probably, in my mind, off the top of my head, fall back to earth a little bit, mm. 10 and 6. Maybe they get to 11 and 5. But I don't think I'd have the Packers as a top five team. Jumping all the way down to 19, and you'll find the Cleveland Browns, right? Uh, and you mentioned Jack Conklin's gone there. They've got Austin Hooper uh, as well, of course. Uh, and so far, uh, Baker and Co. a lot quieter this offseason than they, than they were last season. And that was inevitably, I think, the writing was on the wall the moment they were talking such a big game and everybody had them deep in the playoffs. Their Super Bowl pick, and it was obviously a, a disastrous season, relatively speaking, as a result. They never really recovered from the start they had. Do you think that if they've managed to retain most of the key pieces and at the moment they have, of course, offensively, in, in particular, that this Brown side will adjust to the, the level that they should be able to play as, again, as a collection of, of individual talent. It doesn't necessarily stand to reason that that will, will gel uh, as a team and an overall cohesive performance. But the Browns should be, based on paper and looking at the talent, a playoff side. Do you think they will be this year? I think they'll be better. Yeah, I think they'll be better. Uh, um, I, I, I like the Kevin Stefanski hire as a head coach. I think he's going to do a nice job. And I think they have had a quieter offseason. Now, I guess maybe on some level everybody has. I like the addition to Conklin and Hooper. It seems to me like getting, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield a better offensive line and a tight end, it's almost like, Nat, it's a no-excuse year for Baker Mayfield, right? It's mm-hmm. almost like – it's year three. They're going to have to decide after this year whether or not they want to pick up his fifth-year option. So they want to know. They, they, they want to know at the end of this year whether or not Baker Mayfield is going to be their guy for years to come. So he's got the receivers. He's got the running back. Now he's got the tight end. Now he's getting the offensive line. I think it's kind of uh, now or never on some level for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Big time. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, we are almost out of time, bud. Before we go, because you are, as we established at the top of the show, the hardest working man in showbiz. I mean, it's not it's not even a, a, any kind of contest. You are wheeling and dealing and involved in all kinds of great stuff. So plug away. What can you mention? The Athletic, of course. And like I say, we'll push that, that column out uh, on our social media feed. Uh, at Ross Tucker NFL as well as where uh, our listeners can find you on Twitter. But tell us more about the Ross Tucker pod. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Nat. Um, so for sure, at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. But yeah, I've, I, I played for five teams in seven years and now I got five podcasts. So <laughs> it, um, it, it, it works out well. The Ross Tucker football podcast is every day. So for about 30 minutes, you can get a former player's perspective on what's going on 
in the NFL. And then if you're into betting, we've got the Even Money podcast, a lot of NFL season win totals and futures talk. If you're into fantasy football, we're talking about free agency and the impact of the movement on fantasy for these players and their teams. That's called the Fantasy Feast. With the draft coming up, I've got the College Draft Podcast and Andrew Brandt, the former Packers executive, he has the Business of Sports podcast. So all of those are available at RossTucker.com or really anywhere podcasts can be found. You can check out any of those. And like I said, RossTucker.com or I post them on my social media as well in case you forget. Love it. Get involved with all of those. Uh, and, uh, there's no excuse right now because, uh, a lot of you have plenty of downtime to be, uh, stocking up the intel. And that is a great way to do that. As Ross said, covering so many different angles, uh, of course. So where are you heading next, Ross? Rocky Four's done and dusted. What's on your, uh, what's on your movie bucket list right now when we're going through these, these strange times and, and catching up? I guess some of it is kind of comfort watching and some of it's stuff you've, yeah, you should have watched, but haven't. I got round to it. So what is on the, the Ross Tucker playlist right now? You know what? Uh, believe it or not, I really haven't watched that much TV uh, or movies other than the news every once in a while to find out what's, what's going on. Um, but if I'm watching a movie, I got to tell you, Nat, having two little girls, I'm watching like a Disney movie uh, Sunday night. <laughs> we had movie night and we watched Onward, which is a new I don't know, Disney movie or kid movie. If I'm watching yeah. a movie, it's uh, it's yeah. for people under the age of 10. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about those, I've got two two boys, as you know, about the same age, and I love the fact that almost all of them will put in a couple of couple of jokes, couple of gags for the parents. <laughs> go way over the heads of the kids, but you just there's a nod, and you know that one was for you. Just uh, just uh, uh, keep you focused, keep you focused on it. Ross, great to chat to you, man. Keep safe, keep well. Absolutely, Matt. Same to you and all of your listeners. Really, you got a great audience. Love your listeners. Love coming on the show. Hope everybody can say as safe and healthy as possible. And I know you got some extra time to kill, so. Check out some of the, the different podcasts we have for you over at RossTucker.com. Done deal. Consider it done. Look after yourself. Come back soon. Uh, we'll catch up very soon, bro. Sounds great. Thanks, Nat. As Ross said, you can follow him on social media at Ross Tucker NFL, all the different pods uh, as well that he mentioned, including the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. We will push out a link on our social channels at the NC Show to his athletic article uh, and link to some of his pods as well. I think we can work that out. So we'll get that out there uh, in good time. Hope you've enjoyed. As we've been saying over recent weeks, keep safe, be well. Hang in there. We'll be back next week with more pods. Hopefully we'll drop one or two more bonus ones for you as well during uh, these difficult times uh, just to keep you occupied. Keep you busy. Hope you're enjoying them. Thanks for listening. We'll check in soon. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.